Christians shouldn't judge. Now, I'm sure many of you have been at some place in your life where you have done something or you've been going into a new place or a new job or you've moved into a new area and you're making new friends and we're always concerned. In fact, I think a lot of us probably walk in on Sunday mornings feeling this way. We're thinking, how are people going to look at me with how I'm wear- what I'm wearing, how I talk? how I speak to them, how I don't speak to them. Are they going to judge me by how my kids act? I mean, that's always in our head. Uh, you're always going to have something that you're concerned about being judged about. And what we hear all the time in this society is that we're not really to judge anybody. And they say, people, I say they, there's an infamous they that live out there, whether outside the church or inside the church. You know what I'm talking about, church folks, right? Whenever somebody comes to talk to me, they often say, hey, there's some people and they say this right? They don't ever tell me they're saying it. They're saying somebody else is saying it. And there's always a they out there that's thinking a certain way and acting a certain way. And what we want to know is, is it right to judge or not to judge? The world around us says no. And they quote this verse. Look at it with me, Matthew chapter 7. They say this, and you might know it by the old King James. I call it the King Jimmy version. Um, You might remember it. I'll say it in the ESV here as we read it together, and then I'll come back to it eventually in the King James because that's how most of us memorized it. It says this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. Remember that? Remember that? Uh, I think it's one of those that we have quoted over and over again. Usually we like to quote it when somebody's calling us out on something that we don't like to be called out on. You know what I'm saying? Like, man, you were kind of harsh earlier when you spoke to John. You're like, hey, man, don't judge. Judge ye not, lest ye be judged, you know? Like, or somebody talking to you about what you're wearing, and you're like, hey, judge not, lest you be judged. You don't want to be judging anybody. Don't be judging anybody. I'm here to tell you, though, that that is totally out of context. In fact, one of my favorite preachers, as I was kind of coming into preaching myself, was Paul Washer, and I love his quote when people say, judge ye not, lest ye be judged. He says, twist ye not scripture, lest ye be like Satan. (laughs) Pretty hardcore, right? I like hardcore. And it's very true. We take things out of context all the time. We've been looking at that going on for this whole series, how these little verses that mean a lot and they're really true, but they're taken out of context, get blown out of proportion. And I'm here today to help us with this one as God has been working in my heart about this. I want to just give you a bunch of scripture. So if you don't have time to keep up with this or if you don't feel like doing it, just email me or text me later. My number's in the bulletin that you received on the way in. And uh, I just want you to be sitting there, listening, praying, asking the Lord to reveal to you what he wants to change in you this morning because he does want to change you. He doesn't just want to change the people that are not here today that you're thinking about you wish would be here, right? He's talking about you. He's talking to you today. By his Holy Spirit, he's going to work in your heart according to this scripture. If you're here, it's not by accident. God is sovereign, and he has put forth that you would be here this morning. So I want us to look at the passage of Scripture, then we're going to kind of do a little bit longer intro, then jump back into the passage. So look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 6. You're going to wonder why verse 6 is in there. We'll hit it eventually. Here we go. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. These are Jesus' words, right? You hypocrite. 
First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Let's pray. Father, I ask this morning that you would guide us, that you would lead us, that we would listen to you as you work in us, and that we would be obedient and respond in whatever way you lead us to respond, that we would immediately respond in obedience to what you lead us to be and do in light of this word this morning, and especially in light of what Jesus Christ, your son, has done for us on the cross, that in our place, he stood condemned for our sins so that we might be proclaimed right with you. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus. Thank you for your word, and thank you for bringing us together this morning that we might be refreshed, and we might be changed more into the image of Christ before we leave. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Look, you've heard it again. I say it again. Christians shouldn't judge, right? That's what we always hear over and over again. You shouldn't judge. Don't be judging me. You shouldn't judge me. Don't judge other people. We hear it a lot. Uh, I think, though, that a lot of that is built up into this idea of this one major word that you've heard over and over and over again in different ways, and that word is the word tolerance. It's tolerance. I think many of us have been inundated. You see it all around us in society. You cannot be intolerant to anything and everybody can be able to do whatever they want to do as long as it doesn't hurt me or you. It's okay for them to do it. Whatever's right for them is right for them when it comes to morality or when it comes to spiritual things. And I want to tell you that I think that that is not a good way to live. A lot of you know that. Okay? So don't just get into the like Christianese thing for a minute and think you're done. We're going to jump into some things that might have to work in your life. Let me give you this. Larry Osborne is a preacher. He says this about tolerance. He says, tolerance today is mostly defined, he says today because it used to be defined differently, okay? Go back and look at some old school definitions, or some Merriam-Webster definitions, it's defined differently. But in society today, it's mostly defined as allowing others to believe and live in ways that we don't agree with, supporting their right to do so, you have to support them as well, and refusing to judge their viewpoint and actions as being either right or wrong. As a result, in most circles... Criticizing someone else's beliefs or moral choices is considered to be a major social faux pas, a sure sign of arrogance or ignorance. We've heard that, right? This definition of tolerance doesn't even make sense, though, when you apply it across the board to anything else. Larry goes on talking about that. He says, what we're saying when we affirm such a definition of tolerance is that two diametrically opposing viewpoints or standards can both be true at the same time, right? That's saying, they're like, hey, you can have your faith, and I'll have my faith, and I believe in a God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you can believe in a God who is not that, and that we're both, we both can be right in those things. It's saying we affirm both of those things. Yet this is an idea that's accepted nowhere else in any part of life. Only in the moral and spiritual realm do we buy such nonsense, he says. I mean, you would never want that for somebody that was building your house. You know what I mean? You're like, I don't think that's going to work when you put that wall right there. It's not going to support things. You're like, hey, don't be judging me. Like, I have a degree in this, and I know this other guys disagree with me, but I'm going to go the way I want to go, and it's going to work all right, because what works for me works for me. It doesn't work that way in most areas of life, but it does in our world, in our society, in the moral and religious realm. And a lot of this comes from verses that are taken out of context, especially when it comes to don't judge one another, right? Just like this one. Go back and look at this passage. Judge not that you be not judged. 
Okay, it looks like he's saying right off the cuff, don't judge anybody. He goes on and says, for with the judgment you pronounce, you'll be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In other words, whatever you bring down on somebody else, you're going to get judged under that same thing. So it's better not to judge, right? That's the, on top of things, kind of the way it looks like it reads. He says, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? I mean, this is a lot of like, good ammunition, isn't it? Like somebody tells you, like, hey, you got this little thing you're doing wrong, and you're like, whoa, 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 Mr. Log Eye, right? And you can throw it right back at them. I used to be the world's best, and I guess I still could be at this. I love to just throw things back at people in a way that when they hit me with something, I just knock them down with something bigger, right, and totally spin it around. I have a good friend of mine who'll go nameless, but he will know who he is if he listens to this, and uh, he does this really well. He's the best at deflection. He usually deflects by putting it back on you right? We're good at this. We train ourselves. This looks like his ammunition. He says, you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, Jesus says. That's strong language, right? All the Pharisees are listening. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, it makes sense here. You say, no, don't judge because you don't have any right to judge. That's what people say about this, right? Don't judge. Don't be doing that. You don't have a right to judge. Look at you. You've got your own problems. You've got your own issues, your own things. Who are you to judge me, right? That's the way I like to think about it when people say things I don't want to hear. Look, here's some other ones. Romans 2, 1 through 5. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Or John 12, 47. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world, Jesus says. Like even Jesus says he didn't come to judge the world, right? Let's look at the context of that particular one. I'm going to back up a little bit and reread that with some verses before and after. Listen again. Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone, here it is, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I do not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. Hear that? There is a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak, and I know that this commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. You put it in context, all of a sudden, and there's judgment, major judgment. Jesus Jesus is just saying, I'm coming to save you. I'm coming to save you. That's the big thing he wants to get across here. What about John 5, 24 through 30, verse 24 by itself says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. So at least for us Christians, right? No judgment. That's good news, eh? Amen? But truly, truly, I say to you, he keeps going, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Look, there is judgment. and There's God-ordained judgment. In fact, John 14, 6 brings it into a clear picture without using the word judgment at all. Jesus says, I am the way, the way, the truth, the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. Listen, no matter who you are, no matter how you believe in this thing, well, we oftentimes want to say, well, like, well, how I do my life with religion is my thing. Religion is not private. It's personal, but it's not private. It can't just be a private thing. Because you're either all sold out to God and he's bought you with the blood of Christ or you are not. And you will live it in the public realm and in the private realm. It is not private. It may be personal, but it's not private. And morality is not relative. It can't be. This passage in Matthew 7 is not about whether or not you should judge. You hear that? It's not about whether or not you should judge. It's about how you should judge when you do judge. That sounds confusing. I'm going to say it again. It's not about whether or not you should judge. It's about how you judge when you do judge. Okay? Here's J.C. Ryle. Remember that guy? Yes? Like two people remember this guy? I'm going to quote him more. I quote him all the time. J.C. Ryle says, What our Lord means to condemn is a severely critical and fault-finding spirit, a readiness to blame others for trifling offenses or matters of indifference, a habit of passing rash and hasty judgments, a disposition to magnify the errors and infirmities of our neighbors and make the worst of them. This is what our Lord forbids. It was common among the Pharisees. It's always been common from their day down to the present time. We must all watch against it. We should believe all things and hope all things about others and be very slow to find fault. This is Christian charity, he says. Let me give you the kind of thesis statement for the day. If you're going to write down anything, write this. You just saw in Matthew chapter 7, it says, Judge not that you be not judged. I'm going to tweak that based off of all of Scripture for today's topic so that we get it right in context. Because that's still true. All that's true in Matthew 7, 1 through 6. But when taken out of context, it is detrimental. So we're going to put it this way. This statement I'm going to make is not just from this. It's from all of Scripture, looking at everything that I've seen on it. Here's here's the way that, that we should think about judging others. Judge not for your glory. Judge not for your glory, but judge for the glory of God. You hear that? I'm going to break it down. Judge not for your, maybe highlight, circle, underline your. Judge not for your glory, but judge for the glory of God. Let me put it to you like this. In general, Christians are not to judge those outside the church. I'm asking you to judge not for your glory, but to judge for the glory of God. I'm telling you, the first thing to hear is that you're not really meant to judge those outside the church. The only thing you're meant to judge on anybody that's not a believer is whether or not you think they're a believer. That's all. And that's to be done in a way so that you can lead them to Christ if they need to be led to Christ, not so you can bring condescension to them, right? You're not to judge anybody. Who are we to think that anybody that doesn't love Jesus would ever do anything that's acting like they love Jesus? That's, that's silly to think that we should judge people for how they act and what they do. People, you, you name it. You name the sin that you don't like that makes you feel disgusting when you think about it. And think of those who don't know Jesus and go, man, I, those people, they're horrible. They do this thing. You, who are we? Who are you? Who am I to do that? Yet by the grace of God that I might be there. Right? There's no judgment. That's not our place to judge those outside the church. So Paul talks about that. 
there's this thing going on in the church where this guy is having, well, he's having sex with his, at best, stepmom in Corinth, right? And the church is just like, hey, we're tolerant. It's all good, you know? It's all good. And he says this, Paul says this responding to that. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you need to go out of the world. Like he's saying, you shouldn't associate with the one that had done this thing inside the church. I'm not talking about the people outside the church. How would you like live life without being around people that were adulterers or greedy or swindlers or idolaters? He said, but now I'm writing you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders, he says. Who am I to judge outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? You hear that? He said, aren't we supposed to judge those inside the church? What are we doing judging outsiders? I'm not talking about outsiders. I'm talking about those on the inside. God judges those outside, he says. Purge the evil person from among you. That's strong language, isn't it? We are called, we are expected to judge as Christians. We're expected to judge one another, not those outside the church. And see, I think we've got it swapped. I think most of the time we judge people outside the church left and right. We judge them in a lot of ways. And so I'm going to give you a few points in a minute that will help us with that. I think it's helping me. But I think we need to really think in our minds, like, who do you normally judge? Who are the people that you tend to judge when you're going through daily life? Right? Who are you thinking about? Who are you, who, who are you seeing? When you, what are you judging them based on? Are you judging those inside the church? And if you are, what are your reasons for that even? Are you judging those outside the church? A lot of people take the story of Jesus when he's, uh, walking down the way. In fact, this is a section of scripture that we're not even sure is actually in the Bible, right? It's John seven fifty three through eight eleven. It's like this weird part. You may see it in double brackets in your Bible. We can talk about that later. That may confuse some of you guys. That's okay. I'll be here after we're done. But for right now, just listen. There's a story that people like to talk about where this lady is about to be stoned for adultery. And they bring her out to Jesus. And Jesus is writing down. We don't know what he's writing. He's writing in the dirt. And they're all kind of waiting on him. And he finally, he says, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And they all kind of look at each other and they drop their stones and they walk away. And he says, he stands up and he looks at her and he says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, sin no more. You're like, man, what Jesus said, don't. Don't condemn anybody. Don't judge anybody. No, 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 no. He tells her, from now on, sin no more. He said, you're guilty. (laughs) Don't do it anymore. Stop it. Right? Don't do it anymore. But who are we to condemn one another to death in that way in the church? That's kind of the picture he's given. Judge not for your glory, but judge for the glory of God. Don't judge those outside. Judge those inside the church. And here's how we do it. I'm going to give you two ways in which we judge people inside the church. Or those at least that claim to be inside the church, to claim to be believers. Here's how we do it. Number one, Christians should judge to protect. You hear that? Christians should judge to protect. 
You should be judging teachers and pastors and leaders in the church to make sure you're protecting not only your own family, but also the other families in the church. You should be judging me. You should be judging our staff. You should be judging other leaders and Sunday school teachers and small group leaders and and deacons and other leaders in the church. You should be judging them. Proverbs 31, 8 through 9. This is what Solomon says. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth. Judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. You should be judging righteously. Look, Matthew 7, where we were a minute ago. Going down and look at this. Verse 6, right? You read all the other part. Verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. He's saying don't judge, right above. Don't judge, lest you be judged. And he says, don't give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. He's saying, make sure when you see these wild dogs that aren't going to listen to you, don't be throwing the gospel out continually to them, and don't be throwing it out to the pigs that come to you that won't listen, that are just opposing you and opposing you, because they will trample you underfoot. They'll trample the gospel underfoot. Don't throw it out there. That's what he's talking about here. So he's saying, judge those. When you see them, judge if they're Christian or not. Judge if they're open to the gospel, but don't judge their morality. Don't worry about that, right? And he goes on right after that, when you get down into like the end of Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, he goes to the golden rule about do to others what you wish they would do to you. He talks about how you enter the kingdom of heaven. And then in verse 15, he has a statement many of you have heard before. Some of you may not. This is what he says in verse 15 on. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but emberly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. In other words, you'll have to judge them based off what they're doing. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes, thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. We are, brothers and sisters, called. We are encouraged. We are expected to judge our leaders. And if they are not preaching truth, if they are not teaching the gospel, if they're not making decisions based off the Bible, then we should not listen to them. And not only should we not listen to them, we should get them away from other people who are believers. You understand? It is our duty. And ultimately, in the church, our leaders should be doing this for us as well. But you know what? Ultimately, it's not up to the leaders. In the end, it's up to you. That's what Paul's doing when he goes in 1 Corinthians 5. He says, cast this person out from among you, church. He's writing a letter to the church. Do this. Get them out. Get them away from you. And this is the idea here. We are to judge people in order to protect the faith family. We have to do that. You may not like it, but it's right there. Isn't it? I need you to go like, yes, it's there. You may not like it, but it's there. Judge not for your glory, but judge for the glory of God. When you do that, when you protect the church, when you love the church, you're willing to do what it takes to stand up, open your mouth, and protect the church, you're doing what you're called to do as the church. You're protecting one another. Don't let some wolf come in in sheep's clothing. And that's what happens. They usually rise up from within. You think they're one of you, and they rise up, and they begin devouring other sheep and causing dissension and problems. And when they do that, they begin to do that usually in the back of the room. You know what I'm saying? 
They work the back of the room far. They find the ones that are most easily to get on board with them, not the ones who are strong in their faith, not the ones who know the Bible the best. They use the other ones. They, they find them and they get them together. They start to destroy the church from the inside. One of my guys that influenced me most back in the day when I listened to him preaching, he was pretty hardcore. He said this. He said, you should take those wolves, you, you shoot them, you cut their heads off and put them on stakes outside so everybody knows. No false teachers need to come in here. But that's how serious this is. We're talking about lies. Go read the book of Jude. It's all about that. It's all about that. Snatch some out of the fire. Right? That's what we should be doing. Protecting. And not only that, but Christians should judge to protect. We also should judge to restore. This is where I want to camp out for a minute. We should judge to restore. When you're judging other believers, the whole reason you're judging them is in order to bring them back and reconcile them back into the faith family or to restore them back to a good place in the faith family. And sometimes it gets so bad that you have to, like literally he says, purge them from you. Paul says in other places where he had to like push people out in hopes that he gave them over to Satan in hopes that their souls would be saved. To show the severity of the sin they're living in because they would not repent. That's some crazy talk right there, isn't it? We don't like to hear all that because, man, we shouldn't judge people. Who are we? We're people bought in the blood of Christ. We're here to protect the faith family. And we're here to help people see their wrongs. Listen, Galatians 6, 1 through 5. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. You think you're a spiritual, like, mature person? Then you need to go restore that person in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, though, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. In other words... If anyone's caught in a transgression, you've got to help them out. Go bring them back in. Love on them. Say, look, brother, what are you doing? If you don't believe that's true, go to Matthew 18 and listen to this. In verse 15 through 17. If your brother sins against you, listen, church, go and tell his fault to everybody else but him. That's not what it says, right? If your brother sins against you, it says, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. Talk to the guys for a second. When you don't like something that somebody else is doing, you feel like that they've transgressed against you or they're not doing something right, man up and go to that brother and say, hey, brother, I love you, but I think you're wrong. Right? If they won't listen to you, that's a different story. Then then you bring somebody else in. But go to them and tell them what's going on. You have no right, no right to talk bad about somebody in this faith family that you're not willing to confront yourself. You understand? Now, if you confront them and nothing's changing, you may have to get some people to go with you and do something. You may have to get some counsel from some people you love and care about. That's okay. Go to people you love and care about that maybe are stronger in the faith or that are with you there and say, am I doing right here? Is this the right thing? Do you hear? But, but then in the end, you've got to go to that person. Go to that person. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Hallelujah, right? Man, that's good. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Whoa. Right? That's some serious stuff right there. I don't think he means by making phone calls one-on-one. You know what I mean? I, I think he means you counsel with the leaders... And then you 
bring them before the church body, not on Sunday morning like in the middle of a sermon time, but like in a faith family gathering time. And you, brother, please, please repent, turn. If, if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Hey, so just so you know, that doesn't mean they can't come in this time frame where they're under the word. But it means they, they, they're not a part of the faith family. That's how, they, that's how you're acting towards them. They, you treat them as they may not be a believer because they won't repent, because they're not listening to truth. They're not listening to admonition out of love. That's some hard stuff. Look, 2 Thessalonians 3, 14 through 15. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, Paul says, take note of that person, judge them, take note of that person, and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Right? See, it's pleading, please come back, do the right thing. Please, come back in, let's get things right. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. James 5, 19 through 20, if any one among you, my brothers, wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. It's a huge responsibility, but it's our responsibility. Judge not for your glory, but judge for the glory of God and for the good of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Look, I'm going to give you some ways to do it. Don't judge superficially, but judge graciously. Got it? Don't judge superficially, but judge graciously. John 7, 24. Don't judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. You can't tell what's going on in somebody just because you see them. So when you're driving around or when you're in your job and you see somebody and what they're looking like or what you think about them, don't judge them that way. Get to know them and love them and then bring them to Jesus if they don't know Jesus. And then you don't judge by the appearance of the outside. You go to them, you judge graciously with grace. You go to them and say, hey, what's going on? How, I feel like something's off. What can I do for you, brother? What can I do for you, sister? What's going on with you? Right? Judge not for your glory. Judge for the glory of God and for the good of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's another one. Judge not hypocritically, but judge generously. You hear that? Judge not hypocritically, but judge generously. This whole thing appears hypocritically in Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Take the log out of your eye before you try to get the speck out of your brother's eye. John Stott, he says it like this. To sum up, the command to judge not is not a requirement to be blind, but rather a plea to be generous. Jesus does not tell us to cease to be men or women by suspending our critical powers, which help to distinguish us from animals, but to renounce the presumptuous ambition to be God. You see? Let's not us think that we are better than and that we have it all together and that we know, oh, that's a poor person. We say it like, oh, bless their heart, right? Oh, pity, pitiful, pitiful thing, right? Don't, don't, let us not be as that. We are not God to, to look down on people in such a way. We're, we're brothers and sisters across the table, right? In a real faith family. Where does life happen? At the kitchen table. You know what I'm talking about? Real discussions take place. Let's be generous with it. Hey, you know what? I, I'm not so sure what's going on with you. I'm hoping it's just like I'm just seeing this wrong. And go time and time again if you need to. Have a conversation. Be generous. Give of your time. Give of your emotions. Give of your, your, your abilities, your skill sets, whatever it is, to hang out with them and talk to them. Here's another one. Judge not harshly, but judge fairly. 
James 4, 11 through 12. Don't speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? And he's talking about judging harshly, speaking evil against one another. I have to repent of this continually in my heart, even if it doesn't come out of my mouth. My mind is a just an analyzing mind, and I can be harsh in my head. Judge not for your own glory, but judge for the glory of God and for the good of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Listen, judge not self-righteously, but judge humbly. This is the last one. Judge not self-righteously, but judge humbly. Listen, brothers and sisters, don't judge where the Bible doesn't judge. You hear me? You understand what I'm saying? Like, a lot of us grew up in church, and we've got our ideas about, man, if they're doing X, Y, Z, they're not a Christian. Or if they're doing this, they must not love Jesus. And a lot of times, those X, Y, Zs and all those little extra things we have are not in the Bible. I'm going to tell you a secret, Baptist. You ready? Are you ready? Okay. It's not a sin to drink alcohol. It's a sin to be drunk. I'm just saying, just because somebody you know in the church that has an alcoholic beverage on occasion, whether you like it or not, whether you want to do it or not, it doesn't mean that they're living in sin, that you need to go and be judging them harshly or judge them in a way that is self-righteous. Now, listen, I'm saying, you may not want to do it yourself. That's okay. It's okay. In fact, the Bible talks about that. Romans 14, 1 through 13, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it to honor the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself. None of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to me. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Don't let the things that aren't rules in the Bible be rules in your heart and how you look at somebody and talk to somebody and judge somebody. Don't do that. But man, when they're stepping into the lines and you know where the lines are in the scripture and they step across those lines, go to them as a brother or sister. Say, I love you. What are you doing? Don't do that. That's not good. That's not okay. Don't do that. Don't get caught up in self-righteous arguments either. Judging one another where the Bible is silent. Titus 3, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. You get that? You see what he's saying? Let me put it to us in Baptist terms for a minute. (laughs) Are you ready? You may think all Calvinists are going to hell. You may think all Arminians are going to hell. 
Or you may think they just shouldn't be in your church, right? And you may not know what I'm talking about, and that's okay. <laughs> you don't need to know. <laughs> hey, let iron sharpen iron. Let's, let's discuss and debate theological points. But when it all comes down to it, let's not have no divisions. Let's not have any divisions over that stuff. That's not worth it. Let's lift up Jesus and let Jesus be king. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's look at Scripture, let Scripture define what we believe about who He is and what He's done and what He's promised to do, and let us worship Him for what He is, who He is, and what He's done and what He's promised to do. Do we understand? Amen? Let's do that. Let's not have divisions over those kind of things. It's not worth it, brothers and sisters. If it's allowable in the orthodoxy that we believe in, the Scriptures tell us, then let us be allowable with us. You know what? I don't really care if you're amillennial, postmillennial, premillennial, pre-trib rapture, post-trib rapture. I don't care what you are in that way. I mean, I want you to be something because you need to study the Bible, know what you believe. But let's not argue over those things to the point of being mad at each other and not getting along and dividing. It's not worth it. Let's divide over the inerrancy of Scripture because that's important. Let's divide over with people over things like the deity of Christ. That's important because that means you're not believing in the gospel. Everything else, man, we can be brothers and sisters. That's why we can hold hands in a, in a manly way, of course, with like the Presbyterian brothers down the street because they love Jesus, and so do we. And we can do it with our Methodist brothers and sisters because we love Jesus, and we're going to be different. That's why we're Baptists. We believe differently, but we're going to love one another, okay? These tertiary issues, let them not be the thing. Let that not be judging that divides us, brothers and sisters. Let's judge for the glory of God, not judge for our own glory to be right in something, Let's judge for the glory of God and for the, the, the sake of our, our salvation of our brothers and sisters. Man, that's, that's got to be where we are. And let me say this, brothers and sisters, last thing. Don't fear the judgment. Hear me right. Don't fear the judgment. People are very fearful that when they walk into church, they're going to be judged. And you know what? They will be. Some in a healthy way and some in an unhealthy way. Let us be the people who judge in a healthy way that say, hey, I don't know who you are, but you may not know Jesus. Can I get to know you and talk to you about Jesus? Hey, I, I don't think you know where you're going. You look confused. That's a judgment, right? Can I help you get there, right? Let's not stand back and watch them as they struggle with their kids. Let's not stand back and watch them as they look for a place to go. Let's judge where they might be in that moment and help them and love them and move them along to where we want them to be, to be in the middle of our worship gathering with us. Don't fear judgment when it comes upon you, brothers and sisters. When you do something wrong, it's a grace of the Lord that somebody would confront you. That's a grace of the Lord. That's a good thing because they love you and God uses them to bring you back into a good place. That's why we need to be in small groups so that we can be real with one another, be confessional so that we can can't get away with walking in a way that is different than that. We need those relationships. If you're not in one, please get in one today. Be a part of a place like that today. We need it. We need it. Don't fear judgment. You know why? Because the judge, Jesus, has been judged for us in our place. And there's no condemnation for those that put their hope in Christ. Amen? That is good news. That is good news. You can believe in Christ because he gave his life for you that you can be brought into the family of God. And now the only judgment we have is judgment for your good. The judgment for the bad and for the condemnation, for the wrath of God has been poured out on the Son, Jesus. And we no longer have to worry about that judgment. We are free. We are free indeed because he is risen indeed. Praise the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let us not fear the judgment, but let us judge one another, not for our glory, but for the glory of God and for the goodness of our brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing. And you deal with the Lord. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. It'll be a few more minutes. When we do that, 
I want you to be ready for this. Prepare your heart. Confess your sins. Confess your need for him. And as we take the Lord's Supper, if you're a brother or sister in Christ, take with us. If you're not, repent and believe on Jesus now. Repent and believe on Jesus right now as your Lord and Savior. And then take with us as one of our family. Please, please don't put off the Lord or the Spirit as he works in you. Father, we need you. We thank you, Lord, that you, although you brought judgment, you brought the sacrifice who stood in our place and it was condemned for us, your son Jesus. And he was able to take all of the, all the condemnation, all the wrath down because he is worth more than all of us put together. Lord, thank you for your son. Thank you that he would give himself for us. Thank you for loving us so much that you would give us Jesus. And thank you, Lord, that you would encourage us to judge one another about where we might be in our walk with you, that we might be encouraged then to, to be repentant as a brother or sister comes to us. Lord, help us to love you and to, to repent immediately when we see those things in our life. And Lord, let us not fear the judgment because your son has drank it down on the cross. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you for Jesus. Help us to worship him. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're going to pass out these elements. Go ahead, guys. As they come around to you, they'll come in a double cup. Pull one out of the other carefully, and one will have the bread that we'll partake of in a minute, and the other will have the juice. And then take a few moments to pray until we read Scripture together and take the elements together. I'm reading out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where Paul recounts the last night when Jesus was with his disciples before he was betrayed. And he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I'm going to pray for us one more time. We're going to sing a song, and then we'll be done. Father, we thank you so much that you've given us everything by giving us Christ. And while we may have felt judgment at some point, maybe even in this place, we know that ultimately the judgment that you pronounce for us is good and that you have provided Jesus, the true one overarching judge, who has judged us righteous because of his sacrifice for us. So that now we are welcomed into your family. We are are brought in and we are forgiven of our sins because of what he did for us on the cross. Thank you, Lord, for bringing the judgment down on him in our place, that we might be with you forever. We ask all of that in Jesus' name. Amen.